I'm going to give to you a copy of the notes that I'm going to be given at a grace conference that I'm going to this week. And I'm always looking forward to going to other places and speaking. And I enjoy it. I really do. But they wanted me to speak on how to prove eternal security. Well, there's a lot of ways I could do that. I could simply say, because God said so. That's it. I could quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, or 1 John 5, 13, say, just believe that and you got it made. But I want to go a little bit deeper into the Word of God. And remember now, we're going to be covering some things that I'm not interested in covering the issues of the day. Not talking about the, you know, marriage, remarriage, whether it's right, wrong. I'm, I'm just going to tell you what the book says and go through it because there's a wonderful lesson in it when it's the supreme, it's uh, the ideal of what God wanted. We live in a sinful world. We don't always do the things that we're supposed to do. But God did lay it down the way He wanted it to be. There's nothing wrong with God giving the Ten Commandments, is there? It's that we nobody kept it. But there's nothing wrong with the law. It's that it can't save anybody. But it does let us know what God requires in the standard of righteousness. And God is perfect. God is just. God is holy. We're thankful that we live in America where we can live, worship freely. And we're supposed to have a government that protects and defends these liberties of ours. So that we can live a quiet and a peaceful life. But there are people in this world that don't want you to live, and especially not a peaceful life. There are those that are bent on destruction. Want to take away our freedoms and our liberties. As the Bible says in the book of Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 1, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. America was based upon the Bible, and we've got some wonderful freedoms in America, and we ought to stand fast therefore upon the liberties wherewith God hath made us free, and we ought not allow ourselves to be enslaved again, because we're on the verge of losing our country. But I want to mention a few other things to you. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis in chapter 2, very quickly. Some of these things I have mentioned before, but I want to give you a copy of what I'm, I've mentioned before, but also to go a little bit further. As we know, there's much discussion in the world today about whether there's, um, you know, male and female, transvestites and all the rest of it. In case you did not know, we already had a Bible where God said what we are. If you'll notice there in the book of Genesis in chapter 2, look in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one. And they were both naked, and man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now this is the first man, first woman. And as far as we know, there hasn't been any other kind of person created. You're either a man or you're a woman. And if you don't know what you are, it's a mental problem. It's not anything physical. I believe the Bible is simple, it's true, it's clear. 
But point number one, I want you to see, the first man and woman was to be bound forever. If they had never sinned, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, how long would he have been stuck? I mean, how long would he have had that woman? They would have been married for how long? Now, you talk about yours been a long time. This would have been forever. But then she, at that time, was the most beautiful woman in the world. Right? He had to be the most handsomest man in the world. They didn't have any options. So they wouldn't have known anybody looking better or anybody looking worse. But then the Bible says Eve was the mother of all living. So they had a whole bunch afterwards. But sin entered into the world. And that's always the problem. You and I could do a, a lot of things for the Lord if it wasn't for that old sinful nature that we were born with. And yet you were born with it. And everybody has one, except my two grandkids. Everybody has got this old sinful nature. And because of that, there's a problem. Look at number two. After sin entered into the world, they were bound unto death. Now, after sin came into the world, they weren't bound together forever. They were bound until death. So one of them eventually is going to die. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis in chapter 5, that after about 950 years, he died. See there? Look in chapter 5. In chapter 5, look in verse 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. You know, that's a long time to live. But he still died. So the Bible tells us that regardless of how long you live, you're going to die. So they were now bound together. When he says, cleave unto his wife. Leave and cleave. Those are two things important. When you get married, you're supposed to leave mother and father, cleave unto each other. So, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 3. The book of Matthew and chapter 3. Now, it's amazing that sometimes the scriptures just doesn't do a lot of explaining in certain areas. It just comes right out and boom, hits you upside the head with it and say, this is it. And so then if we don't agree with what God said there, we got down, we got to try to figure out what he really meant. And did he say something? Is there a loophole? Is there a clause? You know, escape clause. Because everybody wants to know how can they get out of this uh, being bound together until death do us part. So the disciples said to him, Lord, if this, if what you're saying is true, then it's good not to get married. That's what he said. Look there in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, look in verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? I mean, for any reason. They say, I divorced thee, I divorced thee, I divorced thee. You're divorced. Isn't that wonderful? Now, my wife and I, we've been married going on 57 years. I think it's a keeper. But it's, you know, been a lot of years we've been married, and sometimes it seems like I have been married all my life. I can hardly remember when I wasn't married. And so God gave me a good woman. I'm just, I've been blessed. And the Bible says, he that findeth a woman findeth a good thing. I'd just like to make a correction on that verse just a little bit. He that findeth a good woman, good, good woman, very good woman, findeth a good thing. Because not all women like to keep their place. Not all men want to accept their responsibility. So we have a lot of turmoil in this old world. 
people that don't do what God wants them to do. So everybody wants to go their own way, do their own thing, and if you don't want to call it sin, you just don't call it sin, and it's okay. Because today, nobody says anything about anybody's sin. And there's some churches that are mega churches because the preacher doesn't say anything about sin. Because it's so negative. It makes you feel bad. We want you to feel good. I really don't care how you feel. I want to tell you the truth and you deal with it. This is what God says. Now do whatever you want to do with it. I'm not interested in your feelings. In other words, after everybody leaves, we'll give you two sedatives as you walk out the door. That'll make you feel a little bit better. But do I have the responsibility to try to make everybody feel good? Tickle your ears? Or tell you what the book says? I think I'll just tell you what God says and leave it lay. Because whatever you say to one person that really soothes and makes them feel good, makes somebody else burning mad. So I find out, forget it. Don't play the game. But look what he says down in verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them what? Male and female. Now you know. Now you know. You didn't know that before, but now you know. There's only two kinds of people. There isn't any other kind of people. There's male and female. And said, For this cause shall a man leave and cleave. It means you leave mother and father, cleave to each other. So you're to cleave to each other as two people become one. And two people becoming one for how long? It's not forever. It's until death do you part. Until one of you dies. Now, that could be a long time. It could be a short time. He said, well, I need to be free. Well, God strike my husband. No, don't do that. And so you may not want to do the things God wants you to do, but just do what God says. You'll find that in the long run, you'll probably wind up winning. You'll, you'll like the results of obeying God more. But now, whether you've been divorced or remarried, I don't care how many times, I'm not interested in that. I'm just telling this is what he says. This is what God's ideal. In the beginning, it was like this, but now, no, you done ruined it. So they asked the question, yeah, but what about what Moses said? Yes, Moses gave you a bill of divorcement, but because of the hardness of your heart, because you're hard-hearted, because of sin, you won't do what it takes to make it work. You've got to have both people working together to make something work. So he says in verse 6, I want you to see this, verse 6, where it says, Wherefore they are no more two but one flesh, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. That means you don't go to the, the courts, don't decide it. Don't go to the courts, don't put it asunder. Nothing like it. No man is to divide that which is joined together. And the root of the reason is because, see, the marriage picture tells a story. Uh, it's kind of like here's God and here's man. God loves man. And so God wants to accept the man. So the man accepts the Lord, and you're joined together, and it's a picture of your eternal salvation. And the Lord refers to the marriage picture about salvation. It really does. And I'll show you that in just a second. Now, it means it's not to be separated, not to be loosed, not to be destroyed, not to be severed. Don't look at number three. Point number three. A man is bound by the law until death. Now look in Romans in chapter 7. I want you to see exactly. Because see, you may see it on the paper, but that doesn't mean it's in the Bible. I could have just made this up. Always check it out with the Bible. Don't just trust the preacher. 
You want to trust what the Word of God says. The Bible is the authority. In Romans in chapter 7, in verse 1, he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that uh, the law hath dominion over a man as long as he, what? As long as he is alive. So if the man is dead, then the law has no dominion over him. It's just like this. If you die today, do you have to pay your bills? I mean, somebody else may. But do you have to pay your bills tomorrow? You don't have to do anything. IRS don't have to. You can't, what? You're dead. What are going to do? Dig you back up? They might. I mean, they want you bad enough. But once you're dead, you have no more obligation. There's nothing else you can do. You're dead. The law cannot condemn a dead man. And so once you trust Christ as your Savior, his death is put to you, to your account. That's when you died. So when you died, the day you trusted Christ as your Savior because his death put to your account, then you're free from the law. We're talking about, we're telling our independence where, you know, we're, we're free to go our way and do what we want without, you know, Britain and England being over, over us and demanding and collecting taxes and all that. We're free. So God says, when it comes to salvation, he hath made you free. Free from a few things that you need to understand. You see, there is the law of sin and death. Wouldn't it be nice to be free from sin? You know that old sinful, lustful desires that you have? Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have that? You just always want to do right. But you also want to do wrong. You get mean and ugly, envious, jealousy, covetous. We do all those things. And so it would be nice if we didn't have all of that. But you know, whenever you trust Christ as your Savior, He made you free from its power. Now there's power still there. The lust is still there. But God gave you a new birth with the Holy Spirit. So you have new desires. And these new desires, if you obey them, are stronger and greater than these desires. So you have a choice. You can fulfill the sinful desires or you can fulfill these divine desires. But it's a choice. Now you have the power over sin. And one day, even though this body is going to die you know that you have power over death because you're going to live again. You're going to have a resurrected body. Or if the Lord came back today, you're going to be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So we'll be free from it. You see, we have a joyful anticipation. The word hope doesn't mean like, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. No, it means a joyful anticipation. I know I'm going. I anticipate it. And therefore, we have this freedom. And you're free from the law. See, the law can't condemn you ever again. Why? Because the law can't condemn a dead man. That's why the day I trusted Christ as my Savior, when I was 18 years old, living in Athens, Georgia, I trusted Christ. His death is put to my account. Now, the law can never condemn me in the future. You say, what if you sin the next day? Jesus said, put that to my account. What if I sin the next day? Jesus says, put that to my account. That, go, that goes on me. I paid for that. You see, Jesus, when he died, he paid for all my sin from the time I'm born to the time that I died. What if I sin tomorrow? Really bad. Put that on his account. You see, the Bible says in the book of Romans, in chapter 4, Blessed is the man unto whom God does not impute their sins. 
He doesn't put my sins that I commit to my account. You say, you don't deserve that. I know. It's called grace. So that's why there's no sin in the future that can condemn me to hell because the law can't touch me. I'm dead to the law. And that's why when the sins that I commit, put that to his account. And now, because all of this is true, I'm supposed to be thankful to the Lord for the rest of my life for what he's done. You say, that means you could just have a license to sin. Oh, you can go ahead and sin, and you probably will. Most people do. But ain't it nice to know that you can never be condemned again? He said, then why do I have to confess my sins to God down the road? That's not for God's benefit. That's for yours. That's because whenever, see, you hadn't done those sins yet. You've done these. You hadn't done these. So when you did it, it means confess. This is a sin Christ died for. And he is faithful and just. See, he must forgive because he is based upon what Christ did for you. And so, yes, I confess that. But that's to remove my guilt. Otherwise, you'll live the rest of your life in guilt for all the things you've done that was wrong. And you don't have to. That's why God took our guilt. He took our shame. So you don't have to live for the rest of your life that way. Anyway, all these things are important here. Look at the next verse. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Just look in your notes on this verse. It's right there in your notes. Galatians 2, 19. For I, through the law, am, what's those words? Dead to the law. Dead to the law. That I might live unto God. You can't live for God until you are dead to the law. You must be loose from the law before you can be bound to Christ. In other words, a woman is not to marry another man when she's married. Otherwise, you've got two husbands. And you're not supposed to do it. So she said, okay, I'll divorce this one and get this one. Okay, you can do that, but it's still not wise. Just because you have the power to do some things doesn't mean you have the wisdom to do some things. So you may not be wise just because you have... Have you ever seen some college-age kids that are old enough to get married, have the right to get married? Probably shouldn't. You ever seen anybody like that? Just because you're old in the age doesn't mean you have the wisdom to go along with it. Probably some of y'all already here, you got married when you didn't know a cotton-picking thing about marriage. And as you look back upon it, you say, I should have never done that. <laughs> I got bound. And then you try to figure out, how can I get free? Well, all I got to do is wait till she dies. Or he, she waits till you die. You say, that could be a long time. Yeah. Penalties for these decisions. That makes marriage a lot more important. You better seek counseling before you get married. Oh, hi. What's your name? Uh, my name is Jane. What's yours, Bill? Let's get married. Okay. You might need to check out more than that. And know where a person stands spiritually. So it's not just because you can, it's are you wise enough? Have you sought counseling? You seek God's will on what you do? And it's not just a matter of marrying somebody that believes on the Lord. They are, they're a Christian, so I can marry them. Yeah, but is it a Christian that's serving the Lord? Not one that's promising you what he's going to do, but he's doing it. You see, if a man doesn't love God, he'll never love you the way he should. If that woman is disrespectful to her parents... It's a warning sign. But anyway, we're not talking about marriage today. Just every once in a while, just something just slides out. You know, you just do it. Look at the notes again. Look at number four. A woman is bound unto her husband until death. Look at uh, verse two. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as, as, what does it say? 
as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. See there? Isn't that wonderful news? Some of y'all are rejoicing already. You should be one happy family. Do you know the home is supposed to be a, like a picture of heaven on earth? Is that where your home is? Your marriage? You say, no, it's more like hell on earth. Well, it's supposed to be like heaven on earth. And then notice, in your notes there, she's loose from her husband. Now, in verse 3 of chapter 7, look there in the scriptures. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulterer, but her husband if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she's no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So what's this got to do with marriage and eternal security? Everything. Because this is where you are. This is where we live. This is what's going on in life. People getting married and divorced and remarried and all that. This is what, we're, this is what goes on. Not everybody does what God's Word says. Some people, you know, and it could be, you could do all the right you want to do, but if your mate doesn't, you can get stuck. And so, therefore, it's, uh, it causes a lot of headache. But if you don't know what caused the first marriage to go wrong, and then you go ahead and get divorced and then remarried, the problem, if it was in you, you carried it right into the next one. And you didn't know how to solve it here. What makes you think you're going to solve it? Most times, people just reproduce whatever they are the way they are because it's part of your character. And in this old world, nobody's perfect. But now notice, in verse 3, when he says this, She shall be called in her, but if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adult, though she be married to another man. So God's not against a person marrying somebody else. He says, now let's just do it right. From the beginning to the end, there's a way that God handles all these things. Now, I want you to look there in your notes. At number 4, the last line, I have it in bold. If she is free to marry another, how long is the new marriage to last? Now, if we're talking about here you are and here I am. Here I am and I have an old sinful nature. God calls it that old man, that old man. So everybody in here, you're married to an old man. You say, well, I'm a woman. You're still married to an old man. If you're a man, you're married to an old man. You've got this old sinful nature. You would like to be free from it. All right, here's Christ. He's the Lord. He's God. He's perfect. God in the flesh. Never sinned. Never did anything wrong. So you can't marry Christ until you die. Because, you see, you're already married. You're married, like, for example, to the law. Here's the righteous law, and here's a sinful person. So you can't marry Christ until you're free from the law. Well, how can you get free from the law? you got a problem. Why? Because, see, the law is perfect. He doesn't sin, so he can't die. The only one left to die is who? You. So that's why when Christ died and paid for your sins, and you believe that, the law is satisfied because the law says... If you don't obey me perfectly, you have to die. That's why the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, short of God's perfection. See, everybody in the world is under the dominion of the law. It's like we're married 
and we can't fulfill our responsibilities because we cannot keep the righteous demands of the law. So the Lord says, you have to die. The wages of sin is death. So everybody has to die. Christ went to the cross and died for how many people? Everybody. Oh, everybody. So that those individuals who want to be free from the law and sin and death must accept Christ. He is our liberty. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, His death is put to your account. The law is satisfied. You're free to go. Now you can marry another. And the thing that you need to understand is once you trust Christ as Savior, your new birth is perfect. And because it's perfect, it can't sin. And if it can't sin, it can't die. So now you are an individual that can never die. Your new birth, born of God. This new birth that has no sinful nature, that's perfect, becomes the bride of the Lamb. And the bride can marry the Lamb, which is the Son of God. And we're the bride, he's the bridegroom. And so these two people who are perfect can be joined together in holy matrimony. And when they are joined together, God says, and the Son says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Now, a lot of husbands in life do. He said, I will not. And he doesn't require you to do anything you can't do. And he never requires this perfect person to do anything imperfect. So they are joined together. Now, how long is this marriage going to last? Forever. Forever. Because neither one of these can die. The son will never see death again. And you, as the Bible says in John chapter 11, he that believeth in me shall never die. But and if he die, yet shall he live. You see, when you trusted Christ as Savior, you were given a new birth. When you die, that's your first birth. Your second birth will never die. And you're joined together with the Lord for all eternity. This is a marriage that God's talking about. So the marriage upon the earth is supposed to teach this beautiful illustration. But we mar the illustration. Everything that God put down that's good and right, mankind always messes it up. Look down at number five in your notes there. What is meant when we are loosed by forgiveness? Now just look at your notes there for the sake of time. In Matthew 16, verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some says thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He did not say, I will build my church on Peter. He says, Thou, you, are Petra, a small stone. What I am is a rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, Jesus Christ, they followed after that spiritual rock. That rock was Christ. So he's not talking about building a church upon Peter. But he does say something interesting to Peter. And you'll notice when he says here, 
in uh, verse 18. But I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The power of forgiveness. Now, does that mean that Peter determined who got to go and who didn't get to go? He had the power to save and the power not to save and whatever Peter wanted to do. That's why we're always getting to the, you know, you die and you stand before St. Peter at the gate. This is where St. Peter got to go to the gate. And so he's the one that decides all of this. No. There's a powerful message that Peter had. And he was the first one that preached it on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 were saved. Peter preached the gospel. People believed the gospel. And their sins were forgiven because they believed. And then when he came to the disciples, something else done. Look there at the next portion of scripture that I have underlined in dark and bold. Peter was given the right or authority to tell people that their sins are forgiven when they believe the gospel. The power of forgiveness is in the gospel. This is why Romans 1.16, we quote it every week, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that does what? Believe. So anyone who believes can have their sins forgiven. This is what Christ told Peter. That whenever a person hears the gospel, believes the gospel, then their sins are forgiven. And God in heaven accepts the decision you make on earth. You must make the decision here. God will accept it there. If you die and not trust Christ as Savior, it's too late. Your sins are retained. But if you believe, they are forgiven. But you have to do it here on earth. You don't get a second chance in heaven. It's once and it's here. Now look at the next statement. Number six, the power of the gospel is the power of forgiveness. Let me just read these to you. Follow along there in your notes with me. The disciples were given the authority to go into all the world. Tell those who believe the gospel that they must believe on Christ here to have forgiveness in heaven. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained or bound. This scripture is the same thing that he told Peter back there in Matthew in chapter 16. Exactly the same thing. So it wasn't something that only Peter could do. These are the disciples. And they could do it. But what could they do? When they were to go into all the world, they were to preach the gospel. And tell, I have been given, you have been given the authority by God that you can tell a person, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, all your sins are forgiven. It's not because I have the power or you have any power. The power is in that gospel message that we preach. And if you believe it, God forgives you, gives you eternal life, and you get to go to heaven when you die. I have the authority to tell people that. And so do you, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Peter believed it. The apostles believed it. 
And then those that were after them, because Jesus gave them the command, and whatsoever I have commanded you, you're to teach that to the others. Whatsoever I commanded you, you teach that to those you reach. And go into all the world, because those few people didn't go into all the world and reach everybody. It was other people that were reached because they were reached. Look at this. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38, right there in your notes. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the, what? Forgiveness of sin. If God forgives you of all your sins, there's no sin left to condemn you to hell. That's why I can't go to hell today. I can't go tomorrow. Why? I've been forgiven. This is why he told him in the book of uh, Luke chapter 24, he says that when you go into all the world and to preach the forgiveness of sins, that's what it was about. Preach the forgiveness of sins. Well, that's the gospel. The gospel is telling people, look, Christ paid your sin debt and you can be forgiven. But if you don't believe it, you're still condemned. You're still under the wrath of God. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned. The wrath of God abides upon him that believeth not. So that's why it's so important for you and I to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will give us as a free gift everlasting life. So I am a priest. You trust the Lord, so are you. Now that means we can bring people to the Lord. And we can tell a person, look, I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how many sins you've committed. How many wrongs, it doesn't matter. God says that his son paid for all of your sins. And if you'll believe he did that for you, he'll put that payment to your account and you go to heaven on what you, you're forgiven of all your sins. Now that's good news. And so you have tremendous power. That's why the power is in the gospel, that message. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Look at the next scripture here. Verse 39 he says, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. To be justified is to be forgiven. If God forgives me of everything I've ever done, then it's just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. No sins laid to my account. Blessed is the man unto whom God will not impute sin because God imputed it to his son. Look at the next scripture. Acts 10, 43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever, how do you suppose to have your sins remitted? Whosoever believeth in him. The Old Testament saints preached it. The New Testament saints preached it. And that's exactly what we preach today. It's not special power given to the Catholic church or to the Pope, to the fathers, the priests, bishops and all that. No. You don't have to go to somebody and pay them some money so that they can tell me all about your sins. I don't want nobody knowing all about my sins. But if you want to, I'll let you come to the door and you can leave a little money. I'll put a little slot in there. You can put some money in there. <laughs> and I'll just say, mm, you're, you're forgiven. <laughs> Sound like a pretty good deal to me. Now, would you really want to do that? You want to really tell me all of that dirty stuff you've been doing all your life? I don't want to hear it. And you don't want to hear mine. I might have done one, two things wrong, you know. <laughs> well, maybe three, you know. Number seven, who has been given such power? Who has been given such power? We, you and I, have been given the right or authority to tell anyone that believes on Jesus Christ 
as their Savior that God in heaven forgives them of their sins. And we have the right or the authority to tell those who do not or refuse to trust Christ as their Savior that they are not forgiven until they do. God will honor their decisions they make on earth. If you trust Christ as your Savior here, God will accept that there. You're rejected here, God will accept that too. God will not make you. And it also lets you know your opportunities is only why you're living. And since you don't have any guarantee of tomorrow, that's why the Bible says today, now is the accepted time. Wouldn't it be a good time today to trust the Lord if you haven't trusted the Lord? Because you have no guarantee on tomorrow. Look at number eight. Cannot marry the second until the first is dead. That's taught over and over and over again. If you break this, it causes questions in people's minds. And it'll also cause you to have questions or doubts in your own mind. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loose. Are thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. It means seek, don't seek to be bound. That just shows you that getting married can lead to slavery. No. But now notice. But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such have trouble in the flesh, but I swear you. Did you know that in the times in which they lived, that if you got married, now you just can't do what you got to do. You got to protect your wife so it could be a, an extra burden upon you. He said, for the present time, that he says it's better that you don't because of the hardships and what's going on. But just to understand the words bound, loosed. And so when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you're bound to Christ. And it can never be separated. Once you trust Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. It's eternal security. He said, I will never cast you out. I'll never lose you. No man can pluck you out of my hand. That's how we know this. Now look what he says here in number nine. Well, nobody said this, but I did. We are the perfect bride in waiting for the perfect bridegroom that the perfect father may perform the perfect wedding for the perfect marriage. Isn't that awesome? That's a good statement. But it's based upon what the word of God says. Did you know when you trusted Christ as your Savior, he made you perfect in your new birth? Now, I still see the old one. I'm not too impressed. What you see up here is my first birth. I got a new one coming and a new birth, but I'm going to get my new body to go with my new birth. This body won't last long, but God's going to give me another one. And so we are the perfect bride in waiting for the perfect bridegroom that the perfect father may perform the perfect wedding for the perfect marriage. This is why when you read these verses, John 6, 30, all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. In John 6, 39, this is the father's will which have sent me that of all which have given me, I should lose nothing. He'll never cast you out and never lose you. So once you trust Christ as Savior, you have what kind of life? eternal life. And it is secure. Because see, there's nothing that can keep you from going to heaven. Nothing. Why? You have been forgiven of all sin. Forgiven. And as you do the wrong, as you go through life, always confess, this is the sin for what Christ died for. It's put to his account. I don't want to keep doing that. I'd rather try to live as holy and godly as I possibly can. But when I do mess up, I just recognize this is a sin to help nail Christ to the cross. And so for your own conscience, to be clear, God's forgiven you. Now, accept God's forgiveness. See, a lot of people know Christ paid for it, and God forgave them.
but they can't forgive themselves, and they live the rest of their life in guilt. Not a good way to live. Accept what God's done for you and realize you have sinned just like everybody else. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. You see, this is really what the Lord's Supper is all about. This is so that you and I will always remember what He did for us. This is why we have Memorial Day and why we have the 4th of July. Because we want to remember those that gave their life for us so that we don't annul the sacrifice they made by losing the country they died to defend. Now, wouldn't that be a shame? And because of what Christ did on the cross for us, we should not annul that freedom that He gave to us. The freedom to serve the Lord and to love Him. You see, when you have been under this old man, the law, why would you ever want to go back to the old man and let him run your life? Let him ruin your life. Why would you listen to this guy? That old sinful day. Why would you put yourself back under his authority? When you've got a new husband that knows you and loves you, gave his life for you, why not serve him? So this is walking in the spirit. This is walking in the flesh. So you have a choice in your Christian life. This is the help to remind us of how wonderful God has been to us. So whenever the Bible says that Jesus Christ came into this world, he says, a body hast thou prepared me. Talk about when Mary had that baby in her womb. A body hast thou prepared me. See, the son has always been, but the flesh was born. And he took our sins upon his own body and bore them on the cross. And then the Bible talks about the pay for sin requires death. So the life of the flesh, the body, is in the blood. And so he says, if he shed his blood, you know he was dead. He shed his blood. He died. We're to do this, he says, as often as you do that in remembrance of me. It's a memorial service. And I assure you, this is a memorial service that's more important than celebrating even our independence or Memorial Day because of what Christ did for us. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I wish you would. I urge you to do so. Christ died on that cross, paid for your sins, came back from the dead and said, if you'll believe he did it for you, he would give you as a free gift everlasting life, that he'd never cast you out and never lose you. Our Father, we thank you again for loving us so much. You paid for our sins, all of them, and that anyone, whosoever would believe it, would have forgiveness of sins. And we're here today as your children, remembering what you did for us in order to set us free. You died in our place. You fulfilled the righteous demands of the law. And Father, you came back again from the dead so that we'll never have to fear death. We know that when we leave these old bodies, we're going to have a resurrected body. And we'll live with you for all eternity. No more sin. No more death. You've been good to us, and we thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen.